What is going on, everybody? Jamie Shaw here on the Absolute Basketball Podcast. And on today's episode, we are with Inside Carolina, Sherelle McMillan, uh, to go over UNC's uh, class that they have, the number three class they brought in, going in, what they have coming back, and how they're going to go from the season they had last year during this coronavirus into meshing together as a team next year with the, with the balance of experience and young talent uh, coming in. Uh, but before we get into it, as the normal, would you please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast? Go ahead and rate us five stars. And if you would, leave a comment about what you liked about the podcast. But without further ado, here is Sherelle McMillan from Inside Carolina on the Absolute Basketball Podcast with Jamie Shaw. Thank you guys very much. What is going on, everybody? Jamie Shaw here with another episode of Absolute Basketball Podcast. Today, I am joined by Inside Carolina staff writer Sherelle McMillan to go over the UNC program, the class, uh, talk a little bit about last year's, uh, and then how uh, moving into next year, some optimism coming forward. Uh, Sherelle, how are you doing today? I'm good. Appreciate you having me. Uh, absolutely. I appreciate you making time to, uh, to come on and all that kind of stuff during this time of quarantine and figuring things out and kids not being in school. It's, uh, it's, it's tricky juggling uh, schedules. Yeah, it is. Uh, just a lot going on. And, you know, people keep thinking unprecedented, but it really is unprecedented. So uh, just trying to stay as normal as possible. Oh, no question. And, and uh, speaking of unprecedented, it's, it's kind of time, too, where it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, with, with this UNC team coming forward, they have the number three class coming up in the country. They still have, you know, the likes of uh, Armando Baycott, Leaky Black, Anthony Harris, uh, Garrison Brooks, Playtech, all coming back. Uh, so it's, it's interesting during this unprecedented time uh, how they're going to be able to gel the young talent and the experienced talent together uh, coming forward. How do you think uh, – how do things look coming into next year? What's the optimism like uh, within the team? I think there's definitely optimism. Uh, it is going to be a bit challenging because uh, it's going to be non-conventional in how this team comes together. So for those that don't know, typically at Carolina, the players enroll for second summer session, which starts sometime in late June. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have the NCA mandated practices they're allowed to have in July. But a big part of it is just getting used to being on campus and being in college. Um, so they have a, a pretty decent load for classes during that summer session. They're also working out with uh, UNC strength and conditioning staff. And then they're playing pickup games against, uh, you know, some of the former pros who come back into town. Uh, so it really is kind of an indoctrination period mm-hmm. for all the freshmen and newcomers every year um, that summer session. And without that, it's, it's going to be unique because I can't think of a time, you know, in the last 25, 30 years where they haven't had that. Um, it's kind of a it's, it's one of those annual traditions. And so <clears throat> this freshman class um, is going to have to come in in the fall if, if everything starts on time and really hit the ground running, especially with conditioning, um, because that's a big part of what they do during the summer is just getting them ready for the grind of playing, you know, 20 ACC games and 30 to 35 regular season games as well. So I, I think um, that is the context by which you have to look at UNC. They're going to be a, a team that has some experience, but really reliant on freshmen, particularly in the backcourt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see how those freshmen are able to, how fast they're able to ramp up and, and learn the system and then get their conditioning um, ready to go as well. No doubt. And, and I want to get to this class too, because it's a very good class and there's a lot of, lot of stuff with it. Uh, but Roy is notorious uh, in the past, despite what he's done these last couple of years, um, you know, for preferring experience um, over youth to play. And there are some players coming back this year, you know, that have had some success or, or were touted players. 
Um, you know, you have the likes of Armando Baycott, as we said before, Leaky Black, Anthony Harris, uh, Garrison Brooks, Andrew Playtech. Uh, what should people expect from the core of players coming back uh, projecting toward next year's team? Well, I, I, you know, he likes – his phrase is he likes experienced talent. So experience is good by itself, but it's not great. Talent is good by itself, but it's not great. But experienced talent is the way to go. And he, he would point to his 2008, 2009 Final Four teams, 2016, 2017 Final Four teams, I think is kind of the perfect model of players who are pretty highly regarded coming out of high school who stuck around for their sophomore, junior seasons. And to him, that's the way you win in college basketball today. <clears throat> as far as the, the guys coming back, you know, um, I think Garrison Brooks is the only one who's really – uh, guaranteed that that kind of playing time. Mm -hmm. I think Leaky, I think Leaky Black, you know, played injured most of the year. I think people have to realize that. So that set him back a, a good deal. You know, he really, I don't know if he ever fully recovered from the ankle injury he suffered his freshman season. Uh, it was late January, I guess that was a two, 2018, um, that he suffered the injury. Uh, or excuse me, late January of 2019 that he mm -hmm. suffered. The injury. And I don't know if he ever fully recovered. So he needs to get healthy. Um, Armando Baycott, you know, he had good numbers, but he definitely struggled at times. He definitely looked good at times. So I think for him, it's just being more consistent. Um, those three guys, to me, are, are kind of the keys for Carolina because if they can come in, solidify, you know, their starting roles, um, especially Baycott and, and Black, that takes uh, some of the burden off of the freshman class and allows them to, to be much deeper. And you don't have to have freshmen, you don't have to rely on them to come in and kind of do everything. So I, to me, the key for North Carolina next season aside from Caleb Love, who I guess we'll get to as a starting point guard, mm -hmm. really is Leaky Black and Armando Baycott. If they can take their games kind of to that next level, I think North Carolina has a chance to be really good. Absolutely. And then you go uh, looking at the class, you know, it's, it's top three by most services. Uh, it's got uh, pretty – it's got it, – it, the comp, they complement each other very well, the players. It's, it's like they went out and recruited an actual team um, you know, there's there, there's length and size and and and, and girth and, and ball skills and shooting and and everything involved. Um, since you've already mentioned uh, Caleb Love and you know they they brought in R.J. Davis as well um, and then Curran Walton in the backcourt. What do you think those three guys uh, will bring to the table and what can what can we expect uh, from them? I, I think it's what North Carolina was missing a great deal last year, and I think um, they made a concerted effort to go out and get it, and that's shot creation shot making um, and then just just general offensive firepower because they lacked it on the perimeter last year if you look at North Carolina it was pretty much just Cole Anthony and Brandon Robinson and those two players I think only played together 10 or 11 times the entire season mm -hmm. uh, so there was a concerted effort on their part to, to bring that in uh, love you know obviously you know him you know all these guys but love dynamic kind of lead guard um, he's not a traditional point guard but I don't know if traditional point guards really exist anymore um, He's able to get his own shot. He's able to get shots for others. Um, a lot of athleticism probably will continue. UNC's recent trend of kind of one-and-done point guards that started with Kobe White, mm -hmm. uh, continue with Cole Anthony. He just he has all the NBA measurables and everything that you need. The question is, just like for um, Cole Anthony and Kobe White when they were entering colleges, how can they fit what they do well into what North Carolina likes to do? I think it was easier for Kobe because, as you know, you've watched him more than anyone. He's up and down the court, you know, scoring, get buckets. That's his game. I think Caleb is, is more similar to Kobe than Cole. 
not saying that him and uh, not saying that Kobe and Caleb are exact matches. I think he's more similar to that than what Cole was. And Cole is one of those point guards who's just kind of bred to be in the NBA, uh, heavy on pick and roll, heavy on ISO. That's just his game. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe Caleb might be a little bit better fit for what uh, Roy Williams tries to do offensively. Same thing with R.J. Davis. Um, he's a guy, um, you know, 5'11", um, up from New York, can really score, um, can handle the ball. So, you know, another thing North Carolina struggled with last year was you kind of wondered if they had a secondary ball handler, a mm-hmm. secondary facilitator. And R.J. can definitely do that for him. And then Walton, um, their last uh, commit, is definitely someone who can just come in and shoot. And with the front court that they project to have, having someone who can hit an open shot um, is going to be invaluable for them. Yeah, and I feel like that's something kind of, too, that um, the, the shooting aspect of things might have been a struggle last year. Um, obviously, with these bigs they have coming in with, you know, De'Ron Sharp and Walker Kessler complimenting Armando and Garrison and all that kind of stuff, they have some inside presence. But, you know, the ability to space the floor was something where they really struggled last year. The two grad transfers came in and, and you know, uh, didn't do as expected and, you know, forced Cole to have a lot of, you know, um, I guess not optimal shots uh, to have to take to create and stuff, but the shooting just wasn't necessarily there. And it feels like these freshmen, albeit they're freshmen and albeit they're not going to be able to, you know, as we talked about earlier, the indoctrination of, of coming in, um, you know, the shooting ability is there. Oh, for sure. And the thing is uh, a part of it for North Carolina last season as well was that, um, Garrison Brooks was playing 35, 36 minutes a game, which actually was the most since Marcus Page back during his sophomore season. So when you have a big who's playing as much as anyone the last 10 years, except for one of the, your better point guards of the last decade, that's probably a problem because mm-hmm. that shows lack of depth. Um, but that shouldn't be a problem as long as everyone stays healthy. You can rotate Dayron and Walker and Garrison uh, and Armando. And so that lessens the load. And so that will give you uh, more offensive firepower in the post between Dayron and Walker. Both guys are, are skilled. I, I think Dayron doesn't get enough credit for having skill. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's not as skilled as Walker, but uh, he does have skill. I think people just see him as this kind of menacing brute who doesn't really have any ability. But, I mean, the kid is very talented, as you know. So having those two guys able to score in the post opens everything up. I think a lot of the shots that North Carolina missed last year were contested because why would – you know, why – why do you need to uh, double up in the post if they're not going to be able to score consistently, which Armando, you know, didn't, he couldn't do consistently. He had times where he scored 20 at times where he couldn't you know, do anything. Um, so the added threat of those guys inside is just going to open up everything on the perimeter, I think, for the shooters. And really all RJ and Caleb and Kerwin Walton and Puff Johnson and Leakey need to be able to do is hit open shots. And if they can just do that, it doesn't have to be 40% of the time. They can do it 35% of the time. I think North Carolina has a good shot, again, to, to be really good. If you look back at their title team in 2017, it wasn't a great shooting team. It was basically Joel Berry and Justin Jackson, you know, bombing threes. Um, and then Luke May kind of showed up towards the NCAA tournament. Um, so I, I think as long as they can get a, a decent percentage, then North Carolina's ability to kind of play bully ball in the, in the post will help them a lot. Absolutely. And, and then shifting over, you mentioned uh, Dayron not getting for his skill. And then you, you mentioned Puff Johnson's name in two. Uh, what the front court guys, Puff Johnson, Dayron Sharp, Walker Kessler coming into this class, um, what, 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 can, what can they expect coming in uh, kind of from those guys? I think, uh, I think Puff is 
someone who kind of followed his brother Cam Johnson's development curve. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I expect a, a breakout year from him as a freshman. I think he still has some room for growth. But as we mentioned, shooting is at a premium always in basketball now. That's the way the game has gone. And particularly for North Carolina when uh, they weren't a great shooting team and they lost their two best three-point shooters, there's going to be an opportunity for someone who comes in and makes shots to earn a lot of minutes. So I think that's where Puff can, can help them as a freshman. As far as the bigs, like I said, I, I really think it's just um, providing additional scoring. Uh, you know, they are an upgrade for what North Carolina had um, in, in the post. I don't know who's going to start. Uh, you would assume that Garrison is going to be there, and then there'll be a battle for the other spot between the other three. Um, but they'll, they'll bring more offensive firepower, more skill, um, uh, an ability to spell people so that they can keep their, the rebounding uh, percentage high. You know, Roy Williams loves his offensive rebounding percentage, um, and that's something that Dayron is, again, as you know, is just excellent at. He, to me, mm-hmm. he is, and I'm not, I, don't, I don't operate in hyperbole, <laughs> but he's probably the best offensive rebounder I've seen in high school basketball since I've been doing this. Yeah. Um, it, is, it is unique skill. I don't really know how he developed it, but he is a great <laughs> offensive rebounder. So that will come in handy. And then Walker, um, you know, his wingspan now is is closer to 7'5", seven, 7'6". Seven, so naturally he's going to be a rim protector just because he's so long. So I think you'll see more blocked shots from Carolina than maybe we saw in the last couple of years also. I think the interesting part, too, with Kessler is his ability to stretch the floor as well. I, I think Dayron a little bit, too, to a certain extent, can operate out of the high post. Um, as well, but Kessler is the you know kind of a stretch five, almost a you know pick and pop trail big type of shooter too. Right. These guys can play together, and you can have you know multiple six ten, six eleven, seven footers on the floor together playing together. Right, and I I think what people have to realize is you know since Luke May left Carolina, they didn't really necessarily have that in the last couple of years. They didn't have that guy, or last year they didn't have the guy who could just step out into three, but also play in the post and mm-hmm. Walker. Albeit they're not really similar outside of those two parts of their game, Walker definitely will, will be able to do that. Um, and, and then, like you said, Dayron also has that skill too. He started to show it off a little bit this past season at, at Montbird. So uh, very encouraging. Those are the type of big men that Roy Williams typically wins with. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens, I guess, if everything starts on schedule in the fall. So taking a complete shot in the dark with having no idea how things are going to play out and what guys are going to look like when they get on campus and stuff, uh, how would you say that the starting lineup uh, would, would, would trot out on day one? <laughs> uh, that is a great question. I think Caleb, I think, more than likely will win the point guard job. Just a dynamic player who fits what Roe Williams likes to do, who has all the measurables. So I think you can slot him in at the one. Um, I think initially I do think Armando, Roe Williams expects a lot from him. I didn't think you'll see Armando in, in that starting lineup initially. Mm-hmm. And then obviously Garrison will be there. You know, Garrison will be a first-team preseason All-ACC type player. Um, maybe even a long shot for some preseason All-American honors mm-hmm. um, because he had that good of a season last year. So he's a lot to start. So I think, I think you'll see Baycott, Brooks, and Love definitely starting. And then for me, it is a competition for the other two slots uh, amongst Puff Johnson, Kerwin Walton, R.J. Davis, uh, Leaky Black and Puff Johnson. Um, so you basically have five guys for two mm-hmm. starting spots is, is what I, I see. Now, if you look at the roster, there's not a, a, a natural backup point guard right now. So mm-hmm. maybe that R.J. Davis out of the consideration to be the starting two. And if you, you ascribe to that philosophy, then you have Puff Johnson, Kerwin Walton, Leaky Black, basically, and Andrew Playtech for those uh, two spots at the two and the three. Um, 
in the end, I, I still think Leakey will start um, initially just because, uh, you know, he, he should be healthy for the first time in a while. And his defensive ability is, is pretty tremendous. Uh-huh. Um, and then it's, I think it's a crapshoot at the two after that. Um, I just don't know. It depends on what happens when they get to campus. But it'll need to be someone at the two who can knock down shots. Uh, that's really, really important for North Carolina next season, especially if they start leaking at the three because he did have some struggles shooting from the perimeter last year. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of interesting possibilities and, and play combinations that you could have with these lineups, you know, especially with guys like – you know, you can run some offense through Dayron Sharp at the high post, and he can find players. Leaky Black also can initiate some offense, too. And, uh, you know, with R.J. Davis's ability to shoot the ball, um, you know, there's some interesting uh, interesting combinations that could be had here. Yeah, think about they could have one of those all-NBA-type rosters where everybody looks like an NBA player. Yeah. You know, Leaky Black, as you know, played point guard throughout his high school career, um, AAU career. So, you know, I, it's not hard to envision a lineup of Leaky Black, who's, you know, 6'7", pushing 6'8". Mm-hmm. Corbin Walton, who's six five, six six, uh, Puff Johnson, who's six seven, and then two of the big guys who are all six nine or, or taller. Yeah. They could have a lineup where six six is the smallest person on the court, um, and just like you said, it, it gives them a lot of flexibility, um, being able to move people around throughout the lineup. Oh, no doubt. And then uh, you know, it, it, it's it's crazy too. You know, four years ago or three years ago, whenever it came in, Garrison Brooks. You know, who'd have thought that he'd become the player that he is today? You know, with multiple McDonald's All Americans on the floor, and they're talking about you know, Brooks being the one that's first-team All-ACC, possible first-team All-American. Yeah, it, it shows how much he's worked um, and, and become a better player. I, I think um, it, it's becoming a little bit of a trend for guys ranked outside of the traditional top 100 to come to North Carolina and, and play really well. Um, depending on what service you use, Luke May was ranked outside of the top 100. 100 and mm-hmm. uh, his junior year, he was a third-team All-American, first-team All-ACC. Uh, Cam Johnson, granted he had two years at Pitt to kind of develop and get ready, but, you know, he uh, came to UNC. He was a top 200 player, I think, out of high school and was a first-team All-ACC and ended up being a lottery pick. Uh, Kenny Williams, while he didn't have, you know, maybe the accolades of the other two, came to North Carolina, depending upon what service he used outside of the top 100 and essentially was a three-year starter. Um, So they're definitely getting players – who are ranked out of you know traditional areas in which they recruit mm-hmm. and developing over time, and then by the time they're upperclassmen, they're really good players. So um, I think that speaks to, to the hard work of, of those players and how they're working to improve their game. How how much do you feel? Because obviously this is this is a heck of a class, and and you know Roy in the past two years being able to get Kobe White, being able to get Cole Anthony, and you know Armando Baycott and all that kind of stuff. How much do you think that those allegations uh, hanging over UNC's head really did hurt their recruiting? I think we're we're seeing evidence that it was a huge problem. Now, I'm not saying it was the only issue that North Carolina had on the recruiting trail because there are a lot of things you hear that, you know, maybe the offense isn't as modern as other people's uh, use. There's not a lot of – there's not a lot of pick and roll. There's not a lot of ball screens. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a traditional two-post motion offense, and sometimes you hear NBA people talk about it, and it's always – they always say the lack of spacing. Like, if you read anything about Cole Anthony – um, as he heads into the draft, it's like, well, NBA play, NBA evaluators couldn't really get a great look at him because he's playing in a system that didn't uh, utilize space creation for him so that he could kind of do his thing and ISO and pick and roll. Uh, so that's one thing that's been kind of bandied about at Carolina as far as them missing on some players during that time. But if you just look at the numbers, they went from 2011 to 2017 
signing one top 10 player. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me, two top 10 players. James Michael McAdoo in 2011 and Justin Jackson in 2014. And since the NCAA stuff ended, which was October of 2017, they signed Cole Anthony, who was a top 10. They signed uh, Nasir Little, who was a top 10. They signed uh, Caleb Love, who's a top 10. And then they also signed Kobe White, whose college production was basically that of a top 10 player. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I definitely think it was a part of it. Um, the classes of 2015, 16, and 17 were definitely not up to their um, traditional standards. Uh, if you look at those three classes, you can make your argument that the 2015 class um, is the one that kind of looks the best because in 2017, their top signing, Jalik Felton, only played, I think, about 11 games at Carolina, and then he was gone. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, Brandon Huffman is, tr- is since transferred to Jacksonville State. Um, uh, Sterling Manley has been injured for the large majority of his career. Andrew Playtech has been serviceable, kind of a reserve role. And then there's Garrison Brooks. In 2016, Seventh Woods uh, played three seasons and then has transferred to South Carolina. Uh, Brandon Robinson started as a senior and was pretty good as a senior, but you know it was, it was difficult for him to stay uh, healthy. And then Tony Bradley played reserve minutes for one season and then went to the NBA. So the 2015, 16, and 17 classes, really they've gotten you know kind of high level production from one player, and that's Garrison Brooks. So um, that that I think that stretch, which was right in the middle of the NCAA stuff, those guys would have been recruited and. I guess a year before their class. So 2017 and 2016, 2016 and 2015, and 2015 and 2014. And that's right in the middle when everything was happening. So I definitely think there there um, is some correlation. It's not the only thing, but it was definitely a big part. And then, uh, you know, UNC is a, a blue blood, big brand, one of the biggest brands in the country, really. Uh, with this new NCAA rule coming around with a name, image, likeness, possibilities, um, not for this season, but next season, I think uh, January starting for next season. What are your thoughts on that? And how do you think, um, you know, how do you think that'll play out? And, and obviously UNC players could possibly be big beneficiaries of it. What's your overall thought process on, on it? I, I do like it. Um, I do think that uh, – we could have a whole nother podcast on <laughs> the NTA and all that means, but I'm a big proponent of player freedom and uh, the ability for them to earn additional monies outside of their scholarships, um, which again, the scholarships, you know, people say, well, they should honor their scholarship and they get so much money. It's a $200,000 scholarship, blah, 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 free education. But you know, what is the quality of education you're really getting? Is it really worth the $200,000? I think people don't uh, put that into it as well like these Mm -hmm. guys if we're honest they're going to school to major in basketball and that's okay I just think we have to evolve our thinking when it comes to that Uh, anyway that's an aside Uh, I I think it'll be good for North Carolina honestly it'll be good for the big traditional programs because they just have such a footprint that people will want their players to to do things to advertise to to use their image like it's not far-fetched at all to see uh, you know RJ Davis at a car dealership in Chapel Hill saying I'm RJ Davis of North Carolina, you know, come to, come, come to Parker Nissan or whatever. Like that's not far fetched. And I I think it's fine. You know, I think um, as long as the appropriate kind of uh, recording and and reporting, uh, uh, I guess, avenues are in place to Mm -hmm. make sure this isn't being taken taken advantage of. um, I think it's a good thing because players should be able to, like, there's no reason Johnny, you know, chemistry major, 
if he does something really important with chemistry uh, and he creates something, he can make money off of it. So why can't RJ Davis? Why can't, you know, Dennis Smith? Why can't any of the great players from North Carolina over the past 10 years do the same? Well, I feel like too, um, it's interesting uh, that UNC is the type of place too, where a guy, even like um, Walker Miller could possibly uh, benefit from this, you know, like those, the, the crowd favorites. Oh, definitely. I mean, at Carolina, you know, I think one through 13 on scholarship and then maybe some of the walk-ons too can find their niche and find a way. And we're not talking about life-changing money, I don't think, but Mm-mm. it'd be nice for them to have some extra stuff in their pocket where if they want to, you know, take a trip or maybe enough to buy a car or something like that, I think that's fine. I don't see an issue with that. I think we're stuck thinking about things with a, a you know, 1975 sensibility and it's 2020. We need to evolve. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can't. I, I hear you on that. And then, all, and then the, the G League initiative. I'm not entirely sure that – I mean, I'm sure probably UNC is playing, playing in the game where, you know, they're going after some of these top ten guys. Obviously, they're in there with Isaiah Todd a little bit. And Cole Anthony certainly would have been somebody who I'm sure they would go after and stuff. But um, what, what are your thoughts on the G League initiative and, 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 and where do you stand on how, um, how that's playing out? I, I think it's another good thing for college basketball. I, I am curious why the NBA – would want to spend money when it has a free minor league. Yeah. Um, but that, that's here and or there, just like the NFL. Like, why would the NFL ever compete with college football? Because it's a free minor league system, free evaluations. They don't have to spend any money whatsoever on it. It's just more money in their pocket. And in the end, that's kind of the goal of all this is, is to get more money. So, I, you know, I don't know if I fully understand the reasoning why the NBA is doing it. But, I, again, I think it's great for players who want to choose that route. Some guys just don't want to go to college, and they shouldn't have to. So, if – you have a son who is really good at basketball and someone offers him, you know, $400,000 to be on a G League select team for a year and then go into the NBA draft, I think it's a no-brainer. But for some players, there is value in college. Um, I think we all go back to Zion Williamson. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Zion, we all knew, you probably knew before anyone, uh, being from South Carolina and seeing him probably since he was in eighth grade, how good he was going to be. Uh, but I do think being at Duke helped him a ton because it took him from – a great basketball player to kind of a celebrity, like culture influencer, so to speak. Yeah. So he became, he became more than a basketball player. So I think for some players, there's that opportunity. And I, I think places like Duke and Kentucky and Carolina and Kansas offer them um, that chance. It's not going to be for everybody. Um, but as a whole, I think college basketball will be okay. It might not have the, the top tier talent that we're used to, and, um, but it'll be fine. I mean, even, over the last 35 years, we've seen the talent in college basketball slowly erode. Like, can you imagine Michael Jordan being in college for three years or James Worthy or yeah. Ralph Sampson or Christian Leitner or any of the great players? Tim Duncan was in school for four years. Like, mm-hmm. that just wouldn't happen today. Um, so we've already seen it a little bit, and there will be some more slippage, but college basketball will always be around. And you just have to kind of take the – if you look at the top 100, just if you're looking at college basketball, say, in six or seven years, just start at number 31, and maybe that's your top incoming player, and that's where the talent level goes. And, and, and you know, I mean, it's not like the NBA hasn't had straight out of high school stuff before. Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady, Kevin Garnett, all those guys. I mean, you know, it, and college basketball was as strong as ever back then. So, Yeah, definitely. I mean, And, and I can guarantee you as well, anybody that ever saw Zion Williams in eighth, ninth, or even tenth grade and 
says that they knew then that he would be what he is now is absolutely not telling you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not what what he is now. But you knew he, you knew he was going to be a good player. Man, I could, I could guarantee you that, that uh, he he looked like he looked like a forty five year old uncle on on the barbecue <laughs> grill. He, he, well, you, know, you he, go ahead. I was going to say, to be fair, though, you were, you were one of the first ones to be like, hey, this Zion kid is really good. I yeah. think that maybe it was like his 10th grade, maybe like freshman. Yeah. During the season of his 10th grade year. Yeah. Because, you know, back, back when he was probably he – play, he played point guard. So he was the mm -hmm. point guard for his, for his team at about 6'3", 6'4", and I don't know, built like a high school offensive guard. Um, and then all of a sudden between his sophomore, junior year, he slimmed down a little bit and got – Super bouncy, and then things just went to another level. He kept those, yeah. uh, he kept that IQ, and then you know took a fifty-inch vertical with it. The first time I saw him was at one of your events. I can't remember which one, but that was the first time I saw him, and I was like, "Yeah, this he's legit." Yeah, I'll never forget when he took a uh, seventh woods. He took that ball off the backboard. Seventh woods came down for a dunk, and Zion was timing him on the other side. Goes up against, pins it on the backboard, comes down with it with two hands. I was like. Mm -hmm. I've never in my life seen <laughs> anything like that. <laughs> yeah, two, two great athletes for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, but I really appreciate you coming on. I really appreciate uh, the time here. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's uh, – I feel like college basketball is good. Love them or hate them, college basketball is good when UNC is good. Yeah, you know, I, I guess so. Uh, I think a lot of people would, would disagree with that, especially in the Raleigh-Durham area. But – um, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, it, it, because they're one of those brands where you either love them or you hate them. You want to see them win or you want to see them like good teams lose, but you don't ever want to see them necessarily be bad. You want to see them be good and then lose. Right. And it, you know, th that's the other uh, thing that you have to think about. Roy Williams has never had a season like he had last year in his entire mm -hmm. coaching career. He's been a head of coach since the late eighties and that was mm -hmm. the worst of his career. So I think you'll see uh, a, a renewed, like a, a lot of people, always ask like when is he going to retire when is he going to be done but the guy is still ultra competitive i think you'll see a renewed uh vicar in him a, a mm -hmm. great verve from him next season uh and he's going to do everything he can to to make sure that doesn't happen again so that's why i think uh there's a lot of positions open there's a lot of playing time open and it's really going to be what happens in practice that decides everything for them next year that's awesome. No, no, it's, it, it's going it's to be a fun year in basketball. I mean, everybody's talking about all this other stuff, you know, like the G League and all that stuff. I, I, I think that uh, the parody's there for the NCAA, and I, I think it's going to be – I think the excitement, because we didn't have a tournament this year, I think the excitement level is going to be even higher next year just to get oh, it going sure. again. Yep, for sure, definitely. So, yep. Well, I'll let, you, I'll let you get going here. I'm, I've taken enough of your time already. I, I really appreciate you making time to come on here, and um, uh, thank you. Yeah, not a problem. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. Uh, guys, thank you all very much for tuning in here. Again, for Sherelle McMillan, staff writer of Inside Carolina, I am Jamie Shaw on the Absolute Basketball Podcast. We'll check you next time.